I just want to say welcome to everybody here. And man, what a beautiful sight. Would you just put your hands together for these awesome families that are here today? Families, your children are beautiful and y'all don't look too bad yourselves. Uh, Wow, wow. This this is just a blessing to my heart to see so many gathered here. And uh, today, I I don't want to take too long. I know little ones have little attention spans, but what a special moment this is uh, for our church family to join with uh, members of our church family to dedicate uh, their children to the Lord. Uh, Even, can y'all see that one belongs to me over there? I'm hoping this dedication helps him eat hot dogs differently. Hallelujah. (laughs) Uh, But it's just, it's a a really special, special thing. And parents, a great thing you're doing. In fact, uh, what we're doing today is something that Jesus did. Uh, He blessed children. Parents would bring them to him. Let me show you in Scripture in Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 13 through 16. It says, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. Uh, When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with the disciples. Go, Jesus. He said to them, Let the children come to me. Don't stop them. And can I just tell you, I mean this, is a, just from a pastor's heart. I've seen moms, our family understands it. If your kid's even in the service, if they're not old enough maybe to be in the nursery or kid's life, and they start doing that, I love it. Because that's the sound of life. Would somebody say amen to that? So don't ever be embarrassed. Don't worry about it. We're glad you're here. Bring those babies to church. He goes on to say, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth. Anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. And obviously, I, we'd take all service if I held each child individually. But I hope you know that I've been praying about this day before today and just speaking hope and life over your families. And I do want to take uh, opportunity just as a minister of the gospel, an under-shepherd of Jesus Christ, to lay my hands on, on your kids and just pray over them uh, along with you. But that's my responsibility as, as kind of the pastor. But let me just share quickly about your responsibility as, as families. In Deuteronomy 6, it says, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, uh, when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. This is the role that the family plays, because I only get to see y'all, you know, an hour or two a week, maybe. But you have such a blessing, but such a responsibility uh, with these beautiful kids. Now, I do want you to understand something. While this is a special moment, uh, the dedication of a child does not impart salvation. Just like coming to church doesn't make you a Christian Uh, This is not something that, you know, only faith in Christ alone saves them. But what you're taking responsibility of as a parent is saying, I want to commit them to the Lord. I want to acknowledge they're a gift from God, and I commit uh, to to teach them about the Lord. So at this time, parents and family, uh, thank you to everybody standing with these families. I'm going to ask you to solemnly promise to lead these kids to follow Christ as Christ leads your family. And if you're in agreement with these commitments that I'm going to share, would you just please say, I do. And I'm going to step down as I charge these vows. So just before these witnesses and before the Lord, do you solemnly promise to bring up your child in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you Also dedicate your home to the Lord as a Christian environment where the spiritual nature of your child may grow and mature. Amen. Amen. Now, to our church family, I mean this. This isn't just a cute moment. I take this very seriously because I love these littles. I ask you to commit to pray for these parents and kids. And would everyone please stand with me in the audience for this final time of this ceremony. If you're in agreement, I'm going to ask you the same solemn promise. And if you're in agreement with this commitment, would you also please say, we do. Lakeview Church, 
Do you receive these children in the name of the Lord Jesus as your church family and commit to pray for them and their families as they strive to follow Jesus? Amen. 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 Then would you please stretch your hand toward these families as I pray? And I'm going to do my best not to miss one, so just hold a kid out if I'm missing one. Uh, Because we just want to pray over each and every one. But God sees them. It's not about me. It's about Christ who sees them and loves them and gave his life for them. But church, would you join me as I just speak this blessing over them? Father, in your name, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, I speak over every one of these kids. We dedicate them, God, to you, to your holy service, Lord. These beautiful kids. Lord, I know that the world can be ugly, but Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to watch over their precious minds. Guard their tender hearts. Thank you for these families that are bringing them to church, but that are also, oh my gosh, you're cute. (laughs) That are also bringing God into their homes. Lord, for every one of these, God of, of all ages, I just speak your hand to be upon them. And now if you would, I know your arms are probably tired, but if you'll just remain stretched and and just speak this blessing straight from Scripture. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift His countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lakeview Church, would you show your appreciation and celebration of these families? God bless y'all. God bless y'all. Y'all are the best behaved. Benjamin, watch these children. They're so good. Families, y'all can be seated. And one more time, would you put your hands together for them? God bless y'all so much. We've got a gift for each one of them and a certificate. We'll get to y'all as well. Thank you for being a part today. And thank you for bringing your kids to God's house. At this time, our kids are going to go back to kids' life. Or if you need to take them to the nursery, uh, that's okay as well. Man, those are the kind of interruptions I love. What a blessing. What a blessing. I'm going to ask you, as as they're finding their seats, let's just uh, go ahead and refocus and prepare our hearts uh, to receive the word. If you'll give your attention to the screen, uh, we'll have the sermon video at this time. Wow, what a, what a joyful moment. And I, again, I just want to officially welcome you uh, to Lakeview this morning. And could I ask you to do me a little favor? And would you welcome, we've got a lot of family uh, in the hospital, a lot of our church family that can't be here, a lot tuning in online, and even from our Vernon campus. Would you put your hands together and show your love to those on the live stream? God bless you. Thank you for being with us in service as well. And today is the final message in our series on the Beatitudes. And it's so appropriate, I believe, that we had our child dedication uh, ceremony today. We do this anytime there's five Sundays in a month. We're kind of implementing that. So our next one will be in October if you're interested in having your children uh, dedicated. And we did provide them also just a, a ceremonial, uh, just a Bible to, de- to commemorate the day. And I'm going to get them a nice certificate as well. Uh, But it's just a beautiful thing to see families uh, raising up their kids to know Jesus Christ. And I tell you, one reason I think it's appropriate is because one of my greatest concerns is for this next generation. Because how many of you know this old world ain't like it used to be? And the Bible says it's going to continue to get darker before the dawn of Christ's return. But I don't believe we have to live in fear. I believe we can live in faith every day, whatever day we find ourselves in. And Jesus, in his message of the Beatitudes, gave us instruction that is counter-culture. 
And it may also be counterintuitive. But so you don't have to just accept that culture is going to raise your kids. How many of you believe our kids can be dedicated to Jesus? They can commit their hearts to him and serve him all the days of their life. That's what we're praying. That's what we're believing for in the name of Jesus. And so this morning, if you'll look with me, this is kind of part two of uh, last week. We were out of town on vacation. I'm still dressed like I'm on vacation, but uh, glad, I'm glad to be home. But I'm so grateful for Pastor Clint. He was here. Pastor Mark was in Vernon last week. And uh, they shared about uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And we're going to look at part two of being blessed even in the midst of persecution. If you will, look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. It says... Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Does anybody do this when somebody argues with you on Facebook or Instagram? You just say, hallelujah. Of course not, but we should. Because great is your reward in heaven. And we're going to come back to that phrase in conclusion of today. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus not only tells us, look, they persecuted people in the past. He also lets us know there's going to be persecution in the days ahead. In fact, it's a promise of God that he tells about us or tells us all throughout scripture. And last week... When the focus was on the first half of this beatitude where it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We talked about uh, the Hebrew boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they were in a foreign land, in a a culture that was anti-God, and how they stayed committed to God, uh, no matter what culture was doing. And I think that sometimes we feel like we've only got one of two options when it comes to confronting culture. That if we take a stand against culture, that uh, we just either need to make them all mad or we're going to have to ourselves get mad. And I want you to know that not only can we stand against culture and stop culture from changing us. How many of you believe by the power of the Holy Spirit, God will use us to change the world around us, to change culture? That's what happened with Daniel. He not only had faith in God, he had influence in society. And that's what I'm praying for the church, not just Lakeview, but for the body of Christ to be used by God. I've said this before, sinners loved being around Jesus. They flocked to him, not because he participated or he condoned their sin, but he showed them there was a better way. And he's telling us this, blessed are you if you'll do things that are counterculture, maybe even counterintuitive. And I'll just warn you, this message is going to go a little bit deep. And I have some people, they're like, oh, Pastor Daniel, I love when you go deep in the word. And what they usually mean is, I love when you confuse me. And that's not what I'm taught. That's really not what being deep in the word means. In fact, going deep in the word is talking about going to a place of maturity. It's about speaking to things that are very clear in the word that we see God is telling us to do, but we know we're not doing them. It's calling us to a deeper place with God to grow in maturity in our faith. And so you may be asking, how can this be a blessing? Every one of the Beatitudes starts with saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. You might say, well, I understand how those things turn into blessings for you, but how can persecution be a blessing? If there's anybody that understood persecution, it was the Apostle Paul. And let me show you one example he gives of how it can be a blessing for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 says, This is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And that word strong could also translate to our word for mature. Then I grow. Then I learn. And now I know better how to face the next challenge. I wish we had time today to just, you know, the Beatitudes is just the introduction of Christ's message called the Sermon on the Mount. And I don't have opportunity to to preach the whole Sermon on the Mount. It would take too long. But the very next part of that message, after the Beatitudes, the very next verse of Scripture in Matthew 5, verse 13 says, you are the salt of the earth. And I want you to think about this. Salt doesn't change its flavor 
based on the food that it's on. Salt changes the flavor of the food. Amen? Jesus also says, you are the light of the world. So we're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Both of those things are not changed by their environment. They change their environment. Then Jesus says, this is all part of the Sermon on the Mount, right after the Beatitudes. He says, in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So yes, Christ's work on the cross is the most important, but we have a work to do as followers of Jesus. It says, let them see our good deeds. We want people to be saved by Jesus. They need to see Jesus in our actions, in our reactions uh, to persecution and problems in life and in the world. Look, Jesus promised persecutions. He also said things that he just let us know how it was going to Go And in Matthew chapter 24, he said, and then many will be offended. Does that feel like the world we live in today? Everybody gets offended. I think in the last few years, uh, really since 2020, I think the stress of things has really gotten to people. And they're more offended the other day. You know, I see even Christians, you know, we go through, we get in traffic. You ever had somebody cut you off in traffic? And you love Jesus, but you're ready to peel the banana for him. You know what I'm talking about? You need to holster that bad boy, Christians. Amen. That's not what we're talking about when we say lay hands on people. But people are so easily offended, it's almost like you can't talk to them about anything without it turning into an argument. Jesus said many will be, he promised this would happen, and betray one another. And even he said hate one another. Look at what he told his disciples in Luke 17, 1. He said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offenses should come. Apparently Jesus lived in my family. It's just impossible. People, when there's people, there's going to be problems. Amen? So if this is inevitable, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking we just need to live with it and deal with it. And that, well, this is just what happens, so I'm just going to get mad back. This is just what people do. I don't want to respond the way people respond. I want to respond the way Jesus wants me to. And he always has a better way. That's why he says, blessed are those that, that respond differently to insult and, and to persecution and to offense. Because if we don't, this can happen. Proverbs 18, 19 says, an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And let me challenge you, saints. The enemy will attack you by offending you against people who love you. Happens all the time in the church. Is he wants us to get offended at one another. I'm guilty of it. So it happens to all of us. But watch what happens if you're not careful. When it talks about being unyielding, yielding means to surrender. And you'll get to the point that you say, I'm not going to surrender to anybody. I'm not going to let anybody hurt me again. Nobody has access to my heart anymore. That's what this means, that you're unyielding like a fortified city. You've closed off your emotions. You've closed off your heart. You're saying, I'm not going to let anyone in to hurt me. But what's dangerous is those same walls that you put up to keep people out so they can't hurt you. Those walls will keep people out who God may want to use to help heal you and to set you free. And it says disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. Uh, you might get into an argument, but you're not going to get much out of getting into an argument. You're going to make people mad, and it'll probably make no difference in the situation. We see this play out time and time again. I have yet to see anybody's Facebook post get somebody saved or change their political views or anything like that. But we keep posting them, don't we? <laughs> it's hilarious. But we got to be careful not to fall into the enemy's trap and respond the way he wants us to respond. So let's talk about our response to insults and accusations. And our response is important because if we can change our response, it will not only change us, but God will use us to change others. And I'll just be up front with you. You're not going to want to do any of these that I'm about to share with you. In fact, they get worse as we go. So you've got that to look forward to. But these are things we need to do. How many times does God wor God's word, it tells us something we may not want to do, but we need to do. And each one of these is so important if you really want to have your heart changed and have your life be used by God to change this world for the gospel's sake. Number one, if you'll write this down, is you've got to choose 
And that's a key word. You're not going to want to, but you've got to choose to overlook the offense. And let me highlight that word overlook. It doesn't mean you don't see the offense. It means you're willing to look past it. That's what overlook means, is I'm going to get over this. I'm not going to let this get me down and bring me down to a place. Proverbs says it in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Love overlooks the wrongs that others do. Proverbs also says in chapter 12, verse 16, that when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. So I'm not calling you a fool, but the Bible might be. You ever know somebody, they just stink up a room with their attitude. So as soon as they get offended, they're going to tick everybody else off. If I'm mad, everybody else needs to be mad. Misery loves company. Come on, somebody. So if they're miserable, they're going to try to make everybody else miserable. But wise people, they'll ignore an insult. They say, this is not even worth me you know, sinking down to that level. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's wisdom gives, his, gives him patience. It is to his glory. So this is a blessing for you. Jesus reiterated this. It's to your glory to overlook an offense. One of the best examples I can think of for this that I heard, and uh, I had forgotten about this movie. Anybody remember a movie? It was from a long and distant time called 1983. Uh, a movie called War Games. Anybody remember Matthew Broderick? Yeah, okay, I know who to pray for. Awesome. Uh, I actually really liked that movie as a kid, and it's interesting because we think some of this stuff is just happening, but in that movie, did you know artificial intelligence was in that movie? There was a computer program named Joshua that was, that Matthew Broderick's character was this teenage computer hacker, if you don't know the, the backstory. He hacked into the government, the national security computers, and he thought he was just playing a game or playing a prank, but this artificial intelligence that he kind of unleashed started locking and loading nuclear warheads because it just was thinking it was a video game, you know, something like that, playing out this game. And I think it's interesting. We're doing a series in the month of September on the return of Jesus, and I want you to see some ways in Scripture. Artificial intelligence has been described in the Bible, I believe, in the Antichrist, the false prophet, the beast, all those things. You can see some things. But, y'all, it ain't new. The devil's been working on this plan a long time. But aren't you glad God's been working on his plan even longer? Just a little side note. Come back in September, okay? But when we talk about that uh, movie, it reminded me of a quote from it. Because the way they stop this from happening is they have to convince that computer program. They start showing all the scenarios, of what's going to happen. If, if the U.S., if he launches the U.S. missiles first, Russia's going to retaliate, everybody dies, everybody loses. If Russia this, it retaliates them. Nobody wins in any scenario. He's just going through every scenario, and the computer finally says uh, an important thing. He says, strange game this is. The only winning move is not to play. Let that hit home for a minute. The only winning move to win the battle is not to play. That's how we need to come at arguments. It's just not even get involved in the slander, in the mudslinging. And to do that, we have to use a word known as empathy. I want to ask you to write that down. Can I tell you, God's favorite people take notes in church. Amen. They go to heaven first. So write that down in your notes. I don't know that. It's somewhere in the, I think that's the NIME version. But uh, that word empathy, it's, it's a little bit hard to understand because it's about learning to understand people who are hard to understand. And to have empathy with people kind of looks like, I talked about how we sometimes respond to traffic. The Holy Spirit confronted me, just kind of hit my, my heart. And in my thoughts, I, I was reminded somebody had cut me off. Y'all know on 369, did you know that you're actually not supposed to pass other cars where there's two solid lines? Apparently not everybody knows this. And I was going above the speed limit, just a little bit, you know, but I wasn't like going 45, it's 60 miles an hour, and this dude just could not wait and went around me, almost ran into the car, and the other lane had to swerve to miss it. And I thought, what an idiot. He risked his life, you know, to do this. How foolish. And God brought back to my remembrance one time that I drove recklessly. And it was because of urgency, because of an emergency that had happened in my family. And I thought, you know what? I don't know who that guy is or what he's going through. And the Lord put on my heart to pray for that man. Because again, y'all, you know what? He may not have had an emergency. He may just be a jerk. But that means he still needs prayer. Come on, somebody. Our reaction of anger, of, of, of bitterness is not going to help anybody. And so we want to have real empathy, which will let us have real love. And if you'll write this in your note, this is 
the next blank in your notes, love looks past the behavior and imagines the pain in their life. Instead of saying, why are they doing this stupid thing? Why are they acting so foolish? You start thinking, why? What has happened to them? That they feel like the only way they can get ahead in life is to manipulate people or to take advantage of things. You, you start to wonder, what trauma have they been through? Because we know hurting people hurt people. So if they're hurting you, what happened to them to cause them to be this way? The only way to help them is to start to consider what has hurt them to, to cause them to, to have the pain that they're inflicting. And when you start to choose to overlook things, to look at things differently, number two can begin to happen where you can say, I'm going to keep my heart free from unforgiveness. I'm going to keep my heart free. That's a key word. Is we don't want to be bound to bitterness and unforgiveness. We don't want to be a slave or a prisoner to things that people have done to us even after it's over because of the pain and the trauma of their abuse or, or whatever they've done to us. And I don't know if there's anything that can destroy your life and those around you like bitterness and unforgiveness. And we've spoken about it a lot and preached about it a lot because it's hard to deal with. So if you really struggle with it, don't be discouraged. A lot of people do. And that's why God's Word speaks to it so much. Jesus, even in his example prayer, taught his disciples. He was tell, they asked, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave us the example of the Lord's Prayer. To say, really, I use it almost every time I pray. I just use it kind of as an outline. And during our 21 days of prayer that we'll start next week, we're entering into a season of prayer. I'm going to begin on our, we meet for uh, prayer every Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. From August 6th through the 26th. We, we meet on Sundays, just our regular service time. Saturdays we meet at 9 a.m. I wish everybody would come out, make effort to be here. Because it will change your life if, if you'll just commit to a lifestyle of prayer. But one of the things that Jesus taught was every time that you pray, you need to remember to pray for forgiveness for yourself and for others. Look at it in the Living Bible Translation, Luke eleven four. This is part of the Lord's Prayer where Jesus said, and pray this way, and forgive us our sins for we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. You may be familiar with traditional translations that say, as we forgive. It really is past tense in the original language, to where it's saying, we've already forgiven others, so we receive your forgiveness. And God's word says that. You need to forgive others first. Leave your gift at the altar and go forgive anybody that's offended you before you even offer your offering to the Lord. That's how important it is to God. The way I like to remember it, the way God helps me to do this, and, and this is not in your notes, but maybe this will help you remember it. I decide ahead of time to forgive every time. It's maturity to not be surprised when people offend you. To not be surprised when people disappoint you. It's actually immature to think it's not going to happen. Jesus said it's impossible for this not to happen. So if it's going to happen, you need to decide how you're going to respond when it happens. And so I decide ahead of time to forgive every time. Am I perfect at it? Of course not. But I'm a whole lot better than I used to be. And... We want to grow to be more and more like Jesus. And we want to, to allow God to change our heart. And this next scripture talks about us allowing God to change by making allowances for others. Look at Colossians 3.13. It says, you must make allowance for each other's faults. Do you know what an allowance is? It's something you know you're going to have to pay in the future, so you plan for it now. I'm going to make allowance for that because I know it's coming up. And you forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. God's word preaches that better than I ever could. This is why we forgive, because the Lord forgave you. And again, one of the strongest defenses we can have from being offended, the, the strongest defense from offense is to determine, I'm not going to let anybody offend me. I'm not going to let what they did to me in my past determine how I'm going to live out my life. And one of the greatest examples I heard told by a man who, he's like a pastor to me, uh, one of the greatest ministers of the gospel I, I believe we have is uh, Pastor Chris Hodges uh, from Church of the Highlands. And he told a story about a man he went to school with, a, a young man, when they were in school, he said he felt like this young man was the first authentic Christian he really met. Because he would see people at church, but how many of you know people sometimes act different at church than when they're at school or at work? 
And he said they were at school together, and this young man was about a year, a grade ahead of him, but he would see him interact with people, and he was just always consistent. He always represented Christ well. And this young man's name was Kevin, but he didn't really know him, but he wanted to get to know him. Some things he noticed about him, he was a big, strong guy, you know, kind of looked like me, a lot of muscles. You don't have to laugh at that, but you did. But just, he was strong and, and, and athletic, all these things, but he also was very gentle and very humble. And that, that, that spoke to him. And another thing he noticed, though, was he walked funny. He said he kind of walked with a lean. He said almost, I, I thought of it like an old cowboy going through the saloon doors or something. And he didn't know why. When he got close enough to him to know him, he asked him about it. You know, what's up with you walking that way? And the young man raised both pant legs and he had prosthetic legs. Both, he'd lost both legs from above the knee. That's why he walked that way. And, you know, he felt comfortable enough to ask, do you mind me asking, how did this happen? He'd known him all this time and never heard about this traumatic event in his life. And he told him when he was eight years old, he and his older brother, he was eight, his brother was 12. And they lived in a very abusive home. And he said there was a night where their father, who would abuse them regularly, had actually brought brass knuckles and was using them on these two boys. Eight years old and 12 years old. And they decided just to basically run for their lives, just to run away, to get away from the abuse. And in so doing, this 12-year-old boy and, and Kevin, who was eight years old, made it to a train track. And there was a train moving real slow. And, you know, in their little mind, it's hard to plan things. They just thought, we're just going to get on that train and go wherever it takes us just to get away from, from our father who's, who's hurting us. The 12-year-old jumped on. It was moving slow, and so they hopped on and tried to pull his brother up, but he couldn't jump as high as the 12-year-old, and he swung up under the train, and it rolled over. You can probably figure out what happened. Crushed his legs, and he, his older brother had to run and get paramedics. They saved his life, but they saved his life in another way. When the paramedics came, they realized why these boys were running. And they, were ne they never had to go back to that abusive father again. In fact, the pastor shared that, that Kevin talked about this with joy. He was like, God used that to change my life. He said, yeah, I lost my legs, but I gained a family. I gained a father who taught me. He said, this man may not be my biological father, but he's my dad. And he taught me what real love was like and how to be a man and how to be a man of God. And in a weird way, he said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Can you imagine this? Having that kind of response to that kind of tragedy. And then he said this. I thought this was hilarious. He told this to, to Pastor Hodges. He said, this is so awesome because this happened now. I can never be defeated. <laughs> My kind of man, Kevin. I hope I get to meet him someday. But what a, that's not just a great story. That's an example of what Jesus is trying to teach us here. Do not let your tragedy continue to make your life tragic. You let the Lord turn it around to a victory into a triumph for, for Jesus, for his sake. And I want to give you this quote. It's in your notes. What happens when we forgive is to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. This is what happens when we keep our heart free from unforgiveness. It frees us from so much bad in our life. And once we get free from that, we find freedom, we can actually start to help other people. Even out of that persecution, now we can be used by God to be a blessing to others. And so number three is three words. It's the word pray, bless, and do good to them. This is how we're supposed to respond, the Bible says. It's actually in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, pray for those. Bless those. Do good for those who spitefully use you, who persecute you. This is how we're supposed to react to them. And remember, Jesus was talking to a crowd of people not from our culture. In fact, it probably would have been mostly Roman culture and Jewish culture because the nation of Israel had been you know, overthrown. They were, uh, the Romans were in charge, and then he was preaching, of course, to the, the Jews, to God's people. And so that's who he'd have been talking to. If you know Roman culture, they actually had a god of revenge. Part of their belief system was revenge. And it was actually very... Uh, it permeated Jewish culture as well. And Jesus calls back to that in Matthew 5, part of the, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 38, he says, You have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, so Jesus was changing everything, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And right here, you may can check yourself and find out if you really believe God's word or not. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure this is how I would always respond if one of y'all came up and slapped me on the face. You know what I'm saying? But this is what Jesus said. It's not just a parable, it's a principle. That God wants to live out. He goes on to explain it more. He says, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And then he says later on in that same chapter at verse 43, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy But I tell you, so this is what Jesus is telling us to do. Don't listen to what the world or even what religion or even what your family or culture, what anybody tells you to do. Jesus tells us, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I don't mean pray for them and say, Lord, give them hemorrhoids in Jesus' name. (laughs) Sorry to anybody that I just extended my hand to. That wasn't for you. That's not what he's saying. We don't pray for them in that way. We pray for them. We bless them. We do good to them. He says it in Luke 6, verse 27, 28, still Jesus talking. He says, but I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those. And that actually means speak well of those who curse you. So even if they're speaking bad about you, speaking lies about you, don't respond in the same way or you're just adding to the fire. You're just adding to the the chaos. Change it. Do what Jesus said. Pray for those who mistreat you. 1 Peter 3.9 has the same heart. It says, do not do wrong. And we know we're not supposed to do wrong. But it also says we're not to repay a wrong when somebody does wrong to us. So we're not to do wrong to God, but we, we have to be careful how we respond when somebody does wrong to us. And do not insult to repay an insult. I had to go delete so many Facebook posts when I was reading in preparing for this message because you just want to react to stuff. Anybody ever started typing something, a text message or on you know, your phone, computer, and before you even send it, you just delete it? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. God knows. He saw it even though you deleted it, but he helps us anyway. It says instead, but repay with a blessing. Why? Because you yourselves were called to do this so that you might receive a blessing. Blessed are those. Romans 12 has so much good. And I'm going to show you something in Romans 12 that I have said wrong. I actually misunderstood this scripture years ago. And I used to teach it. It was an honest mistake, but it was a mistake. And and maybe you've made it too. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Okay, so look, you can only be in charge of your emotions and your actions. Don't worry about what the other person's doing, but as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary. So now I'd say this is that counterculture, just like the Beatitudes. Don't do what everybody else is doing. Do what Jesus is telling you to do. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. What a beautiful thought. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. This last one, anybody remember Sesame Street? One of these things is not like the other. I used to be like, okay, we feed them. We give him something to drink. It's so poetic. And then heap burning coals on his head. And that was my favorite one. You know what I'm saying? I always wanted to get to that one. Like, all right, I fed you. I gave you some water. Here's the coals. But I misunderstood. And like I said, I've, I've taught this a little bit wrong. Because I used to say, yeah, just do this kind to them so it'll burn them. It'll, it'll hurt them. And remember, Hebrew culture is different than ours. And actually, burning coal, that phrase, even to heap burning coals, was a blessing. I didn't know that until I really started studying it out. In fact, this scripture is intended to say, you're going to identify their greatest need. It was considered maybe the most precious commodity you could give to somebody. Because remember, they didn't have electricity. They didn't have heat and cool uh, in, in their homes. And so fire was very important to them. And if fire went out and you didn't have the way to start it again, you couldn't cook food, you couldn't do anything. So you're finding that thing that they need the most just to, to bless their life. 
you heap burning coals on their head. And even that's not meaning in the, the mean way that I thought it used to mean. This last one that I'm going to share with you before it's on the screen, before I reveal it to you, I need to tell you because I want you to pay attention to this especially. It might be the best scriptural truth to give you happiness on this earth. And now happiness, I mean like that word blessing. Remember when Jesus said blessed are those, it's similar to our English word happiness, but we don't have a perfect word for the Greek word because it's a little deeper than just being happy. It's, it's being content, being okay, having joy that's not dependent on your surrounding or your circumstances or how people are acting. It's deeper than that. And I believe this final step we're going to address today, our final response to insult, to persecution, may be the number one way that you can have this kind of peace and happiness here on the earth. And that is to remember the eternal reward. The number one way you find peace on this earth is remembering it's not all about this earth. It's not all about what happens here, but what happens in eternity. And I think the Man, now I'm not counting Jesus in this category because he was fully man, but he was fully God. The only fully human person who I think is most qualified to speak about this would be the Apostle Paul. And he writes about it. And I'm going to read that in just a moment. But if you don't know his backstory, uh, go read in, uh, it's First or Second Corinthians. I, I get them confused sometimes, but it's chapter 11. If you just check them both. He describes all the stuff he goes through. Did you know Remember, Jesus took lashes on his back, 39 of them. We call them. By his stripes, we are healed. Did you know the Apostle Paul took that same kind of punishment? It almost killed Jesus. Paul endured it five times in his ministry for the gospel's sake. He was shipwrecked. He was snake bit. Anybody that saw that video of me with that snake upstairs the other day, God bless Paul. How about got raptured? He endured all this shipwreck, snake bit. He was betrayed. He was beaten, uh, you know, imprisoned. So many different places. So many different, all just because he wanted to tell people about Jesus. He was persecuted for righteousness sake. He was insulted. He was all these things. But he wrote this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says, We are hard pressed on every side. Doesn't that feel like what it looks like to be a Christian nowadays? We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed. Y'all, it's confusing. This world doesn't make sense a lot of times. But we're not in despair. He goes on to say we're persecuted. There's that word, but not abandoned. We know we're not alone. We're struck down, but not destroyed. And you might be wondering, how could somebody have so many troubles and still have so many knots? I've got all this going on, but I'm not abandoned. I'm not destroyed. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up my faith. I'm giving it all to God. Paul was able to do this. He teaches about it just later in that same chapter. Skipping down to verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 4. He says, for our light. This is the man that's shipwrecked, snake bit, beaten, all this stuff. He says, our light in momentary troubles. No offense to you, but you getting stuck in traffic does not compare with what Paul's describing here. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And I wonder, where does this world fall on your scale? Has earth become more important than heaven to you? That's dangerous. Even as Christians, we can fall into to that. Because, you know, this... These problems are right in front of our face. The bills are right there in front of me. You know, my employer, my, my neighbor, my family, whatever, they're bothering me. They're persecuting. They're, they're, you know, attacking, insulting me. It's all right there in your face. That's why we don't just live by things we see. He finally says in the very next part of this scripture, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You may not know why or what all the enemy is coming against you with, but be encouraged, saints of God. You do not know the forces of heaven that have been fighting for you to get you this far. 
And I promise you, your heavenly Father, who would give his Son for you, will not fail you now. And I know this world is getting dark. And the Bible says it will get even darker before Jesus returns. But that should cause the light of Christ in our hearts and through our lives to shine brighter than ever before. To pierce the darkness. To show people there's a better way. And though persecution may come because of what Jesus did for me, I'm not going to do to you what I want to do. I'm going to do to you what Jesus calls me to do. I'm going to forgive I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to lay down my anger, my bitterness. I'm going to let you free so that I'll be free. Because I see the bigger picture. I trust in the unseen by faith. And to close this series on the Beatitudes, which the Beatitudes end talking about persecution. And we've, we've addressed it these last two Sundays. I think it would be very appropriate to pay homage and give honor where honor is due to Those like the Apostle Paul, even after Scripture was recorded, the real heroes of the faith who have been martyred, who've given their life. Y'all, our life is not that hard. Again, I don't mean this to insult you, but hopefully to challenge you, to better equip you. If the hardest thing for us about coming to 21 days of prayer is getting up a little early, we don't understand persecution, church. We say, I would do anything to see God change this community and change my family Let us pray. So I ask you to come be a part of it. Change your schedule so God can change your heart and use you to change your family, change your workplace, change these schools. Anybody sick of the devil being in territory that should not belong to him? And we just prayed over those precious kids. Man, don't let that just be a ceremony. Let that be a covenant we make with God. We're fighting for them spiritually. And we'll do things that you ask us to do, God because we believe in you, then let's get involved. Fight that fight of faith. Now I want to highlight just one of those heroes of the faith with this final quote. It's, it's in your notes. His name's Jim Elliott. You may know him. They made a movie about his ministry and his life called The End of the Spear. Down in Ecuador, he and a missionary team, they gave their lives. Literally were killed by spears of natives. Try, just trying to bring the gospel to people that had never heard it. And by laying down his life, God used that to just, I mean, turn the world upside down. So even in losing his life, he gained so much. And he made this quote while he was alive. It was like he knew that it could cost him his life, what he was called to do. And he said, he is no fool. This man's a hero. Uh, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. God bless Jim Elliott. I believe he's probably in, you know, the Bible talks about we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on. Could I ask you to join me in just giving honor to those who've laid down their life for the cause of Christ? Would you put your hands together in applause to those that have gone before us, pilgrims of the faith? Look, this church is here because of people who prayed and gave and sacrificed. And we're not done. We're, we're going to advance the gospel. And we want to reach the lost, whatever the cost. Anything short of sin, we're all in to say we need to change this community. Take responsibility for the area God has called us to. And I want to ask you to stand with me all over this place as we get ready to close in prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, the prayer team to come. If you need prayer for anything, there are those who are here for you. Don't miss this opportunity to pray with somebody, to allow them to bear that burden with you. But first of all, I want to give opportunity for you to pray the most important prayer of all. If Jesus is not Lord of your life, maybe he never has been. Or maybe you've fallen victim into falling back into old habits, temptation, falling back into the earth. The world has become too important to you and you need to put the focus on eternity, on Jesus. Whether you need to make a brand new commitment to the Lord today or you need to to commit to Him for the first time or or just recommit to Him today, I would be honored to just pray with you right where you're at. If that's you and you say, I I need to give God all my heart and I need to, to live my life. You know, you may not be called to lay down your life like Jim Elliott or, you know, like Christ did, but whatever God asks you to do, if He asks you to pray, if He asks you to forgive, will we do what He asks us to do? If you're here this morning and you want to make that commitment or you need to make a recommitment, would you raise your hand real quickly where you're at? I'd like to pray for you. Be bold. 
Doesn't matter that people see you or not. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Yes, sir. Anybody else? You, you can put your hands down. Anybody else? I'll give you just a second. God bless Yes, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Yes, sir. God bless you, man. Yeah, it's, it's past time to, to kid ourselves or pretend. Let's be real before God and let God really change us, change our heart. Would you join me in praying with these? Father, for these people who you love, and, and I love too, we just confess before you that we've sinned against you. And we need your forgiveness. And I thank you that your word says, if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That means we don't need to accept unrighteousness in our life and in our heart. We know we're not perfect, but we know you can help us to overcome our past, to find freedom in you. So God, we just make this commitment to you today and we commit our life to you. We want it to be a lifestyle that we walk out and live out. And Holy Spirit, I pray you give them the strength, give them the friends and the faith, give them the help they need to fulfill the calling that you've given them. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. man, would somebody rejoice with these who made that awesome decision. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to pray a final prayer of dismissal and just blessing over you. And if you need to go, you're free to go. But if you need prayer, I ask you, please don't leave. Uh, before you allow somebody to pray with you. Remember, if you're interested in leading a life group, I'll meet with you back in the fellowship hall uh, after prayer. Uh, we plan around 1 o'clock, but if you're back there before, then I'll meet you then. Uh, but uh, I'm just so excited for what God is doing, and I'd love for you to be a part. So if you're a guest, come back and see us. If you've got a connection card, uh, notice the back of our connection cards have prayer requests. Our 21 days of prayer starts next Sunday. If you've got a prayer need, please write it down. We commit to pray over those prayer needs every single day of 21 days of prayer. And every time we see God do miraculous things. And why not you? Why not your situation? Don't, don't leave today. Fill out a card. You can place it in the offering boxes as you go. And, and we would be honored to pray with you. But if you need prayer, move it any time. We'll pray with you. We'll stay as long as it takes, as long as you need. But let me dismiss you in prayer. And then the worship team's going to lead us out in song while you're dismissed. Father, I speak over these families. Families. I love them, God, and you love them much more than I do. So, Lord, I pray your protection on them, but I also pray you would wake us up to the calling that you have upon us, that you would show us how you want to use us to be salt and light, not to assault people, but to be salt that shows Christ to people. So don't let us respond the way the enemy tries to trap us to respond. Let us Respond like Christ. Live like Jesus. Help us to decrease so you can increase. In Jesus' name I speak it. And all in agreement said. One more time with somebody give God the praise. He's worthy of it all. You're dismissed, church. Go with God. These altars are open if you need us. You're dismissed. God bless you.